I think I shared in the, uh, in the BP Blast that this morning is a, is a very practical passage. It's a passage that has something to say about men and women, about husbands and wives. It has some very practical instruction about that, and yet this passage this morning is not primarily intended to make your marriage better. It tells wives how they should be in the midst of their marriage. It tells husbands likewise how they should be in the midst of their marriage. And yet the goal of that is not especially how to have a happy marriage, how to have a better marriage. In fact, you can do all of these things and your marriage still not be happy because something you may have learned by now, and if you haven't figured this out yet, let me share it with you. Ladies, you can't change him. Men, you can't change her. What you can work on is you, but you can't change them. That's a problem, isn't it? We wish it were different, but it's not. So what we will focus on is, Lord, what would you have me to do? I love the line from Paul on the road to Damascus. It works all through the Christian life. Lord, what would you have me to do? Too often... Too much we think about, Lord, what would you have them to do? What would you have them to hear? But it really it needs to be, Lord, what would you have me to do? And this passage does tell both of us, men, women, what the Lord would have us to do. And this then becomes not merely about a practicals of relationship. We could do that in a, in a marriage or sociology class. This becomes about how do I worship in the midst of real life? How do I follow Jesus in the midst of marriage, whatever that marriage looks like? Because we can easily think that, you know, these kinds of things, these work when marriage is good. These work when marriage is what it's supposed to be. But pastor, you don't know my situation. No, I don't. But this is how we can walk with and before our God in the midst of whatever our circumstances are. So there's words for women, there's words for men, and these especially, they'll, they'll, they'll connect with how we walk together. But the goal of that is that our walk together will be a walk before our Lord in worshiping Him. Let me read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. It, it actually continues a, a section that we've been working on for a couple of weeks and that Pastor Ryan shared with you last week as well um, relating to another part of our daily lives, especially in, the, in, our, in our vocational or how we work and who we work with. But now he gets really close into the marriage relationship. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty, the unchanging, undiminishing beauty, the increasing beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very Precious. 
For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I want to go through, well, first of all, I want to set the stage a little bit. I said that this passage um, flows out of something we've already talked about. Beginning back in verse 11 of chapter 2, there are these passions of the flesh that wage war against our soul. And I, I suggested that the passions of our flesh are not merely the attractions to various kinds of immorality, but those passions of our flesh are that I want it my way. It started all the way back at the Garden of Eden. The Lord said, all of this except that one tree. And they decided, we want it our way. We want to be like God, knowing good and evil. They believed the lie. They took the fruit. They did it their way instead of God's way. Those passions of the flesh war against our soul. Peter has concern in verse 12 for your conduct among the Gentiles, among the nations. He's writing to believers in the midst of the world. He's writing to sojourners, strangers, chosen outsiders who have a witness in the midst of their community, even though they are marginalized among us. Other people are watching them, the nations who are not believers. People in the world are watching them. And he says, I want you to represent your faith in Jesus well. So because of that, be subject for the Lord's sake, he says in verse 13. It's for the Lord's sake. This is how we represent him in the midst of this world. It's not about how it will benefit us. It's not if I do these things, if I follow these steps, these are three keys or four to a happy and prosperous marriage. Or this is how I'm going to get ahead in the workplace, or etc. This is for the Lord's sake. This is how in my life, my Lord and Savior can be glorified. Verse 19, it's a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow or suffers unjustly. That will happen sometimes. And yet that also can, that also can um, glorify the Lord because he endured for us. And we know something even of his suffering for us when we taste the same kind of unjust trouble. Pastor Ryan touched on that last week, that Jesus endured trusting himself to God. That's the ultimate worship. When in the midst of things not being right, not being like they're supposed to be, and all that in me cries against this, and I'm agreeing with God that this is not right, it's not what it's supposed to be, and yet I can trust myself to God. Jesus did that best, and we follow him. We, we live that out in the midst of the workplace. We live that out also in the midst of marriage. This is applied in these core relationships in life because worship and faith are not merely abstracts. They are not things that we come together for for Sunday only. Worship and faith are lived out, walked in, in real life day by day, in the relationships that matter most to us. That's where we really worship. I worship in the workplace. I worship in my marriage. I worship in my friendships. 
how I conduct myself in Christ among others, this relationship horizontally impacts and reflects this relationship vertically. And the cross then shadows over our own lives. So first of all, Peter then in the marriage relationship applies this first to the ladies. Likewise, chapter 3, verse 1. So it's building on that same theme as, 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 as we've seen it in chapter 2. Likewise, wives. Or to put it another way, ladies, let him lead. Ladies, let him lead. He says, to your own husbands, be subject to your own husbands. This is not to men generally. He doesn't say, ladies generally, be subject to men generally. He's not talking about women's roles in society at all. You may make some other extrapolations here and elsewhere, but that's not the topic here. The topic here is how the, the woman relates to her own husband. Okay, So let's not stretch it beyond that and assume other things. This is not a gender equality issue. It's a marriage covenant issue. It's not about women's roles in society. It's about the complementary and covenantal relationship of marriage. He says, be subject. That's not an issue of superiority or inferiority. You know that even the son was and is subject to the father. It's not a matter of is one member of the Trinity inferior or less than in some way the other. Not at all but they are in different roles. And so the son himself is subject to the father, 1 Corinthians 15, 28. So then, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word. Wow, what does that mean? I, I puzzled over that phrase because it seems like it could, it could be referring to the situation or it even refers. I think this is true. Don't limit this, ladies. This is a passage is written to those women who are married to men who are not believers. He says, even if they're not believers, still be subject to them. But he, she, he widens it even from that. He says, if they do not obey the word. Men, brothers, is it possible that yes, we believe in Jesus, and yet we are not obeying the word. Sure it is. And might she know? Sure she does. And yet, Peter encourages her to, to, to be subject to you and to follow you anyway. Now, that's a scary proposition for us men. If we back, us, back, up, back out from it and look at this from that side, that here, I'm determined, I'm going to go my own way. I'm not going to. Obey the word, and yet my wife is going to follow with me. What I do, what I choose, what I neglect is going to affect her too. Something on the side that we need to be warned about ourselves, that our leadership then as men affects our families as well. It affects our wives as well. But even if he does not obey be subject to him anyway. But you say, well, but what if he's against church? Well, God also tells us in his word, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It's a, it's a sad thing. And I know many women through the years who have, in fact, even in my own family growing up, um, for some time my mom neglected the nurturing of her own faith. And, uh, and gathering together with believers in faith because my dad wasn't interested. 
And she regretted that later and returned to church and, and, and at least nurtured her own soul and, and, and gave my sister and I an initial grounding in the gospel there. But it's a harder thing when you don't share that in marriage, something else to be warned about. It's, it's a harder thing when you don't share that. And yet, yet um, I have to obey God rather than men. And God says to gather together, but that might limit how freely can I gather and how much can I invest in and participate in the fellowship of the, of the church family when my husband is not at all interested. So that brings a difficulty. Young ladies... Learn from those who are older and who've gone before you. Learn from the mistakes of others, those women who would be happy to meet with you and say, don't make the mistake that I made. Don't, this matter of don't be yoked together, you know, it's not right for a Christian to marry an unbeliever. So young ladies will often, well, you know, he says he's a Christian, so I guess it's okay. Now I can marry the one that I have fallen in love with. Be careful who you fall in love with, ladies. Be careful who you fall in love with. Don't, it's not a matter of ticking off the yes, he said he believes in Jesus box. It's a matter of do you share a like precious faith? Do you share that which is, most, is, is what's most important to him, most important to you? So that you'll be able to walk together. Because how can two walk, to, walk together unless they be agreed? You want to be able to walk together in life in this faith. That's not just a matter of could I tick off that box? Yes, I'm pretty sure he's a Christian. I guess I can get away with it. It's a matter of do we share the same thing? Do we have the same priority? Do we have the same like precious faith? What about abusive men? To be subject is not the same as to categorically obey or to blindly submit. To be subject is to realize God has put an order in this relationship, and yet that doesn't mean that I should allow the image of God in me. The value that God has put upon me, that his own son died for me, that I should allow that to be abused. There may be there, there are things that happen that you have no control over. I understand. I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to be harsh and, and unfeeling here. I don't know all of the situations that I'm speaking into the midst of right now. But don't, don't let those objections, those things that get in the way, don't, uh, for, for a lot of us, in a lot of life, it's a matter of, I don't really like where he's going, and I'm going to point it out rather than, rather than continue to be loyal and faithful. He says, be subject anyway. Be willing to submit. Even What if you know you're right and he's wrong on this? He's going to mess it up for us. He's going to blow our saving. He wants to buy this stupid boat. And you're determined you're going to hold the line here. You're going to resist because the family's finances, you know, it's probably better. What if... You went ahead. You know, I love you, honey, more than a boat or the money in the bank. I love you. And uh, I, I'm not, I, I don't think this is the right thing to do, but honey, I, I love you and I'm with you. And, uh, oh, it goes, it goes poorly. It goes badly. There's a lot of extra trouble and stress and financial hardship that comes upon us, but far better to do that together than to have that be another See. I told you so, that drives you further apart and puts a wedge in between you. Far better to have to go through the trouble together 
and to know that even, honey, even if, even if, you know, yeah, that wasn't the right thing to do, and we see that now, but still, I love you. I told you I was with you for better or for worse, and this is part of one of those ones that wasn't, wasn't for the better, but that's okay. We're still together. I'm still with you. That's part of receiving one another, even as God in Christ has received us, isn't it? Man, there's much that I've blown and much that I will. And yet my gracious Savior has received me graciously. So ladies, let him lead. Secondly, verses 3 and 4, adorn your hearts. Talked about that, the external appearance and my goofy face and what's going on with my skin and, and versus the internal. And what God says here, he, he doesn't say, no, ladies, you can't wear jewelry any more than he says, ladies, you can't wear clothes, okay? So let's just be clear about that. I'm glad, ladies, you're all wearing clothes this morning, so it's fine if you wear jewelry too, I guess, because they're kind of together. Don't let your adornment be the kind of clothes or the kind of jewelry that you wear. Instead, let your adornment, let that which makes you beautiful, let that which makes you attractive be the hidden person of the heart. Which when the heart is beautiful, it doesn't stay hidden, does it? Oh, external beauty does fade. It does diminish. I remember a young, a young um, guy that I worked with many years ago. He, he got into a conversation and somebody showed a, was talking about some beautiful actress and he, and he, and he pipes up uh, something about um, contrary to external. I forget even what he said, but, but he, he seemed to diminish external beauty completely to the fact that um, one of the other guys said, well, Wade, do you think your own wife is beautiful? Ooh, yeah, we are wired to appreciate beauty for sure. And yet, don't let your beauty be external only. Rather, he says here, adorn your heart. God has made you to be attractive, ladies. God has made you to be attractive to him. That's okay and that's good, but don't let it be skin deep. Rather, be fully attractive. Be attractive in what matters most and the beauty that won't fade. The point is not... Can I do this or should I wear that? But rather, look at these adjectives here. Respectful, pure, gentle, a quiet spirit, peaceful, calm, hoping in God, doing good. There's a, there, there's a beauty of the heart there that is attractive. Let attraction be the hidden person of the heart with that imperishable, unchanging beauty. And now again, I could, I could um, speak to those that aren't yet married. Certainly those who are, you're cultivating that inner beauty. You're cultivating that which will last even as we see over time, like it or not, the external begins to fade. I'm just not quite as handsome as I used to be. Quite. The external fades, but... Oh, that the internal is growing, is deepening. <sighs> Young ladies, you are attractive. You are beautiful. Don't let it be merely external only. Don't let that be the focus of who you try to attract. 
Far better, actually, that you attract a man. And what he's most attracted to in you is that hidden beauty of the heart, that purity of character, that godliness, that, that devotion, that kindness, that compassion, that sensitivity. That let, him, let him see those things develop, grow, strengthen those hidden beauties of the heart. And then you won't have to worry about those fading over time and his head being turned in other directions because his heart has been bonded to your heart. He says, learn from, she- from Sarah. Be like Sarah, something like Sarah. It's interesting in this whole example of be subject to your own, hus- your own husbands with a, a gentle and quiet spirit, a spirit that hopes in God, being like Sarah. He gives Sarah as an example. I don't know about you, but the incident that sticks out in my life about Sarah is that Sarah, she's that guy that didn't believe, or she's that lady, sorry. <laughs> you say, we're not, we're not really trusting what sticks in your mind, Bob. <laughs> Sarah's that lady that when God comes along and says, you're going to have a son, she laughed. She didn't believe God, and and that part sticks in my mind. Sarah's the lady that at one point was so harsh against Hagar, her her handmaid, when that whole thing was her suggestion to Abraham in the first place. Why does she bring up Sarah here? Well, Sarah's also the lady who was also technically um, Abraham's half-sister, and that when Abraham gets is afraid when they first arrive in the land and he's afraid and he's like, we can't stay here where God has led us. We got to go down to Egypt. Things are better down there. But oh, there's some people and Sarah is beautiful and they're going to want her and they're going to kill me in order to take my wife from me. So he says, Sarah, just tell them you're my sister. And Sarah ends up in the king's harem because of that. Sarah ends up on the short list ready to become one of the king's wives until God intervenes. Abraham allowed that to happen because of Abraham's own courage. Just a classic example of when your husband is wrong, dead wrong, stupid wrong, because he's not trusting God. Ladies, there'll be times when that happens. Ask Julie. (laughs) And yet, apparently, in, in glimpses that were not given there, and yet God remembers here, Sarah seems to trust God still, and God is the one who delivers her. God scares the king away. God is the one who protects her and keeps her, and she is not, does not fear anything that is frightening. So learn something from Sarah, that God's promises was nothing without Sarah. Sarah was a joint heir with Abraham of the promise. She submitted to her man, called him Lord, even though he did not always choose wisely. Let him lead, even if he messes it up. Trust God. That's worship. Likewise, husbands. We've got a lot for the wives to do here. A little bit of just two minutes left for the husbands. Great. Perfect. Also a word for men. First of all, he says, husbands, likewise. A likewise encapsulates everything we've heard so far, but especially everything going back into chapter 2 again. For the women, also for the men, dwell together with understanding. Guys, don't expect her to be like a guy. You don't want her to be like a guy. 
Dwell with her with understanding, understanding her. That's going to take some time. That means at the end of the day, you're going to have to save some of those far fewer words. I forget what the numbers are. That they say, women have this many words and men have this many words. And I know in some relationships that's turned on its head too. Those are generalities or stereotypes. But, but save some of your words for her. Don't be all spent out and talked out by the end of the day that you don't have any time, anything left and your emotional reserves for her. Dwell with understanding, which means take the time to listen, take the time to hear. Attend to her. Don't just listen to the words, but attend to her. Don't just give an answer and solve the problems of the day as you perceive them, but rather listen with understanding and hearing feelings. Ask those questions. That's so weird for us. Well, you know, what, what did that feel like when that... Just, she doesn't want you to solve the problem. She just wants you to, you to experience the things of the day with her. Dwell together. You're not just two people sharing a house. You're not just roommates. Dwell together. Oh, easy to say now. Julie and I just had a wonderful week together. where We just got to just spend all of our days together. And it was a wonderful time. We had a whole lot of time to do absolutely nothing. It was great. I highly recommend it. But... Dwelling together, knowing one another with understanding involves listening and talking and and connecting on an emotional level. Showing honor. And this gets into, there's a couple of phrases here. I'm going to deal with that weaker vessel in a minute, and then you can can talk to me afterwards. But... um, these, these, this showing honor and the weaker vessel, those are, those are in a Greek culture. And uh, the, 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 um, the Greek writer Plutarch, out of the same era, writes this, The husband ought to show no greater respect for anyone than for his wife. That was, you, you, you think in first century is a, is a male dominant patriarchal where the women didn't have any rights and that's why Peter's writing this? Not so. One of their leading philosophers is saying, The husband ought to show no greater respect for anyone than his wife. Even the Greeks got this. Dwell dwell together with understanding, showing honor. That means not piling up the dishes. Maybe you could put them in the dishwasher too. It's not too complicated. Certainly don't leave your underwear all over the floor. Don't treat her like your mother or your maid. With honor. A mother-in-law said, when a man says he'll do something, he doesn't need to be reminded. What we say we'll do, we follow through. And showing honor involves courtesy, holding the door open. And ladies, it doesn't mean commenting when he remembers to hold the door, even though he doesn't hold it the other nine out of ten times. So that's not the time when he's doing it right. It's not the time to make some cute observation about all the times he forgets. It's the time to say thanks. Appreciate that. Showing honor. Jill and I were married 30 years ago. We were both in middle school. (laughs) I love that she is lovely, but I'm attracted all the more by her loving kindness. I'm grateful for her sensitivity for her tender heart toward others. I'm humbled by her servant's heart. I'm emboldened by her respect for me. She makes me bolder because she respects me. I'm guided by her virtue and goodness. She makes me want to be better. 
God has given me a wife who makes me so glad to be her man. I want to honor her. He says, showing her honor even as the weaker vessel. Charlie, you got to help me on this. I left two things in my office. There's a metal cup and there's a glass next to it. If you could bring me those. I'm sorry I forgot those. Something Aristotle said, he said, he said, the woman is weaker in physical strength and courage so that the man better defends the home from external attack and the woman better keeps watch and anticipates threats and danger. She's often more cautious. She might be more fearful and so she's better at anticipating the threats and preparing for them. Thank you very much. What does it mean to be a weaker vessel? This one is kind of like us, guys. It is strong. It is sturdy. Nothing's going to happen to this. I can... I could beat up this music stand with this thing. You know, you, you toss it around, you drop it. This is strong, indestructible, and kind of classically good-looking, too, like me. <laughs> you, can, you can kick it around. Nothing's going to happen to it, right? This one, on the other hand, is weaker. But I like the graceful curves, don't you? <laughs> this one is more beautiful. This one I would not kick around or, 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 or carelessly toss aside. It's a weaker vessel, but that doesn't, that doesn't imply any less value. In fact, it might be greater. It might lead to the difference between Tupperware and China, men. Okay? A weaker vessel that ought to be valued and guarded and protected. Because she is a joint heir with us in the grace of life. God's grace in this life as well as his grace and access before him in eternal life. She stands with us as equal co-heirs of God's glory. This is not a hierarchical thing. This is not an equality issue at all. But if we will trust God, we will worship together as joint heirs of the grace of God. So that our prayers may not be hindered. What does that last phrase mean? That one confuses me. Is it, okay, God says, if you do it my way, if you follow my principles, if you treat her the way that I want you to treat her, then I'll hear your prayers. Your prayers being heard by God are conditional upon how you act out what he's already told you to do. Perhaps to some extent that's true. But maybe what if there's something a little more there? What if my honoring her and caring for her actually leads me to pray for her? And what if, if I'm negligent in honoring her, if I'm negligent in caring for her, I will also be negligent and will be hindered, will be interrupted in my praying for her? And what if my primary praying ought to be for the one entrusted to me, as Paul said, like Christ to the church, nurturing her, caring for her, helping her to be all that God intends for her to be. And I help her to be that in my prayers for her that are not even happening, have been hindered if I'm not caring for her, honoring her, devoted to her. If we practice what we're given to practice, we will probably pray how we're given to pray. 
Likewise, husbands, we will dwell together with understanding. We will show her honor. We, we are heirs together in the grace of life that we will pray for her toward. Likewise, women, let him lead. Adorn your hearts. Learn from other women of faith who have gone before you. And let's pray. Father, thank you for practical aspects of how we can worship you in real life. Lord, might indeed our lives be worship. Might our lives be that submitted to you, Lord, that, that we can surrender all to you. Father, we think of surrendering and giving something in terms of an offering. Lord, there's a portion of what you've given us that we would give back there. But Lord, we want to surrender ourselves. We want to yield ourselves to you. And the way we do that is in practical and tangible ways to yield ourselves and to give ourselves to and for one another. Lord, by your grace, in our marriages, help us to do that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.